Welcome everyone to Watch Challenge. On each episode, we challenge ourselves to find and watch a, a film of a particular type and then report back the results to each other and you find listeners. My name is Mike Wendt. And I'm Aaron Spears. This episode's challenge is title sequences. I love this episode concept. I'm just just throwing that out there. All right, so we already have a part two. <laughs> we got to put in the book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is kind of interesting in which I that's one of the reasons I, I, I love the format we've got here for the show is, is challenge. I haven't just watched a movie because of like the opening title sequence is supposed to be yeah. really good. Or I don't know. We don't think with, with scores yet. I don't think we have actually. Not really. Okay. I'll have to add that to the list. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. We're like, it gets you to watch stuff from a, from a different select what you're watching from a different point of view. And I thought this was really kind of a, kind of a fascinating way because a good title sequence will really stick with you. Yeah. And, also, it can stand out in a way, and I don't have an example of this one, but it can also stand out in a way where you're like, well, that was good, but it didn't really deliver on the promise of that really kick-ass title oh, sequence, yeah. necessarily, too, you know? Yeah. That's something I'll have to think about more. <laughs> was, that could be for episode two of this. There you go. <laughs> what, um, was it, were, there, were there like certain title sequences you remember where like you first became aware, like, oh, shit, like that's a really cool... I've never seen anybody do that before. Yeah. I mean, probably... Probably Star Wars, you know, is the is that one or is one of them that mm. that just really stuck out that, you know, you always as soon as you see that, you know, a long time ago from a galaxy far, far away. And then you oh, hear sure. that opening note of bah! you know, yeah, see Star Wars. I mean. Come on, you know that—that's yeah, yeah. something. Like, but, but you know, also I was going to mention the Shining, just because like that—that that one's an interesting one, just of how yeah it starts. It looks like closing credits, but it you know, and it's got that that great ominous music and you know, you're seeing all these great sh- helicopter shots of them drive, you know, him driving up to the over yeah. the hill, and I mean that to me is like it, that was something unique because like you barely saw the scrolling credits at the beginning you know that's something right. that your brain I, you know, as us movie geeks are probably you're trained to see that at the at the end so right. you see it at the front that's like it's like okay all right you're, you're doing something different here stanley you know <laughs> you know you know who else just recently did that uh tar yes where you got the whole credits at the beginning all the credits yeah yeah yeah. And uh, I mean, there's more than there's more than title sequence to compare to Kubrick with the film Tar than just yeah. that. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Mine actually, I th- think, was seven. David Fincher's seven. Mm-hmm. Because it had, uh, I was already, you know, an angsty teen. I was already really into Nine Inch Nails. You got that kind of interesting uh, closer remix. And then it's what would end up becoming John Doe putting together like all of his uh, journals and his writing. And it was creepy. And you knew it was about the seven deadly sins. And like that kind of skewed, like the the frame kind of shakes in different spots too in that sequence. And then if I remember correctly too, those credits run back, not backwards, but like down the screen. Instead of up the screen uh, at the very end credits, which we're not talking about, but yeah. just saying full full credit, full title sequence uh, experience with seven at the beginning and at the end there. 
Yeah, and he certainly, you know, and who knows if it's his choice or whatever, but Fincher seems to like to have fun with credits because Fight Club also had oh, God. a yeah, that's true. kind of fun. Even Panic Room is really interesting because it was like placed in yes. like the city, like on the buildings in really interesting ways where it looked like it was just actual printed out like letters like on the buildings. Yeah. And in there, that was really kind of a cool idea as well. Oh my God. And the Girl with Dragon Tattoo remake. Yes. Uh, with that crazy like leather and oil and machines. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's got yeah. a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely his. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, then as I was diving into like title sequences and learning more about them, uh, I ran across a website. I don't know if you were aware of this one or not, but I definitely bookmarked it. I'm going to be like, well, I'm going to spend some time on this website. <laughs> it's called artofthetitle.com, where it's all about the art of title sequences and creating okay. titles, even down to like what font was that that they created for this uh, thing? It's like the IMDb, but for title sequences. Oh um, and I, I poked around a little bit and it'll give you like multi-frame examples and then you click play and there's a lot of them are just embedded so you can watch the title sequences right there and it gives credit to the artists and the companies that are making them as well too kind of a the unsung heroes of of the film world that that thing that most people just leave like that's what these people are spending their time doing right well, that's the end credits that's not the the title sequences but <laughs> well so then i kind of fell into that that rabbit hole of like when because like you we, you've seen tons of old movies like yeah there, there was a style where like all the credits were used to be at the beginning of the movie and they weren't as long as credit sequences are nowadays and then at the end of the movie it was just the end fade to black maybe company logo and that was it there was no there was no credits yeah. at the end of the movie um until a certain point in time so i was like wait yeah and they all just kind of had like title cards or a script or whatever and it's like here's this here's this. and there wasn't really an art to it and i found this uh article about when opening credits started to change and it was really one of those like tv threat things mm. where even the credits needed to get more cinematic when you started to have road shows of like you know, sound of music or whatever and you'd even have the opening yeah. overture yeah before a movie would start um which i was like oh okay so that's a little bit beyond just like title cards and sequences uh, a lot of the credit from what i read goes to saul bass and North by Northwest using what they called kinetic typography, where like the yeah. letters moved. And I was like, oh, yes, Hitchcock has got. Oh, yeah. Several sequences that are pretty memorable. Yeah. So, I mean, if there was a an Oscar for, you know, opening or title sequences, I'm sure Saul Bass would have like 50 or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. He'd be the John Williams of that category. Yeah. <laughs> or it would just be named after him. Like we said yeah. before, like stunts or something. Um, yeah, he even went up through, uh, he did Goodfellas, I believe. Possibly yeah. even Casino for, for Scorsese. Ever the film geek, Scorsese, of course. Like, oh, yeah, that guy that did the title sequences for Hitchcock, I want him. Yeah. <laughs> of course you do, man. So the ones, as you're, as you're looking at them, were you going thematically like these need to fit the theme of the film or there's these just badass sequence of, of, of titles here these both? some of these were were just based on my memory of when i first saw it you know okay. it's like wow i've never seen something like that or or like man this this got me really hyped for this movie i think is 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 the thought that i that i had when i was looking at these and and certainly i mean they're Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so many good ones that 
I'm sure like I could talk for an hour just, uh, you know, just in honorable mentions and everything. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think I narrowed it down to like these particular ones are ones that like, that really kind of stood out to me, you know, just for the sake of this, but, uh, I, yeah. I don't know how you, were there any perimeters that you had or, I mean, I, I thought about that kind of split. Like I mentioned, where like, does it fit with the movie? And I, I don't, really i didn't spend a ton of time on it i didn't really have a lot of like oh here's an example of one where like oh great credit sequence but terrible movie sure um sort of thing i think i was going more like what you were saying was like the when you just I, I mentioned uh seven and then you're like oh or like fight club I'm like oh my god yeah like the ones that have that reaction when somebody mentions like that title sequence yeah it's not a great sequence but the fact that in like martin scorsese's the departed that that dropkick murphy song shipping up to boston oh, kicks in yeah with the opening title well actually just the just the op- just the title of the film alone but it's like 20 minutes in yeah. like you forgot you didn't get any credits yet and that's jarring and you're like oh okay i forgot i'm in the hands of the master <laughs> I'm, I'm in good hands here for yes. the next couple of hours so i i think there i think there needs to be an element of novelty like you're saying like oh this is new i've never seen this before and novelty yeah. in a great way in a in a novel way where you're like oh yeah, I've not seen this type of credit sequence been done before. In a previous episode, I forget which one I mentioned, Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. Yes. Um, I, oh, we were doing needle drops. Of course. I didn't pick any of his because like if you do Google searches for like, you know, great title sequences, like his stuff pops up, Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim, those things pop up. And when I think of his movies too, I do generally within like a scene or two or a needle drop scene or two or a great line, I will end up thinking about the credit sequence. Which yeah. That must leave such a strong impression where you're like, oh, I remember the words that were telling me what I was going to watch on screen. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's something that you have to have there, and I love it when it's really unique and engaging and 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 tied into the whole experience as well. Um, like I mentioned, the Goodfellas one. It's just, it's not even a full like opening credit sequences. It's just a few like drive by, you know, yeah. Ray Liotta, Martin Scorsese picture. Like, it's not a full rundown the way Baby Driver is a full rundown of like graffitied credits in the background there or something so well there the one thing that i think in in just in this modern era over at least the last 10 years is that many films are going away from revealing the title in in the opening scenes of the movie you know i've seen so many films now that have put the sometimes have saved the title to the even the very end of the film and and sometimes oh yeah you know it's one of those things that I, I'm noticing more and more, but, but I'm sometimes I'm like, I have this weird brain where I'm thinking like, okay, you know, I know I'm watching this cause I'm a movie geek or something, but is say if somebody casually drops on, yeah, uh, drops it on TV, it's like, you might be thinking, you know, and obviously there's always guides that tell you what it is, but it's like, if somebody just wants to start something, and see what the title is and then you don't see it to the end that might it's almost like a cheat <laughs> right know? but yeah I, I feel like a lot of our master filmmakers are the ones who really put the put the work into making these like unique unique title sequences yeah yeah although that said i'm looking at the three i picked for this episode my honorable mentions and my main pick i would not categorize any of them as master filmmakers okay. <laughs> no offense to the filmmakers i chose but like yeah. they are not in the category of all the ones we were just talking about yeah <laughs> so let me let me start off with i got a really early one sure okay and i was kind of surprised to find that this was going on this early 
because I was debating that David Fincher idea of of panic room because I really liked how they just seemed like they were inserted into the into the cityscape that panic room was going to take place yeah. in. And uh, there's a film uh, which I haven't seen in forever, and I do remember it being very striking. The opening credits to My Man Godfrey from 1936. Oh, wow. Okay, and it's a really kind of wild premise that I think would be interesting to revisit right now because uh, you have a fish, Fifth Avenue socialite, uh, Carol Lombard. She needs to find a quote unquote forgotten man, which is kind of code for like post-World War One going into the depression, like the forgotten man that's out there um, to win a scavenger hunt because she's a rich socialite. And that's what you do when you're a Fifth Avenue you know, socialite, I guess. So she goes to literally this like this dump by the East River, like shacks under a bridge kind of thing. And she uh, gets Godfrey, who's played by William Powell, who, if you don't know William Powell, Google him. He just looks like a butler. (laughs) And that's what he is. He ends up being the butler to her. Like the description is her riotously unhinged family. It's a goofball uh, screwball comedy. Um, So he comes in and is the new butler in the house and everybody learns a lesson and comedy of manners and misinterpretations ensue and blah, blah, blah. But the opening credit sequence is really awesome because it, it it's a slow pan across a skyline from like kind of the richy rich, maybe fifth Avenue kind of area and all these different, like, and I don't know if neon was invented yet, but kind of like, you know, names and lights on buildings light up and it's all the, the credits, the cast, the director, all the yeah. opening, you know, 1936 style opening credits. And by the time it pans all the way to the right, we're in like shacks under a bridge and the credits are done. And you can tell it's one of those like matte painting kind of things. Yeah. But it's slow dissolve to like the actual scene and movement starts and it just it blends right in seamlessly you're like that's really creative credits for 1936 usually like you said it's just title cards and then fade out here's the movie that's cool but that one uh that one that one's pretty striking also it's a pretty funny movie too i haven't seen it in a while like i said but i remember that was an early like i'm gonna watch like some classic hollywood stuff and i was like oh my god this shit is really funny (laughs) this really works okay so my first uh, honorable mention is yeah. is this is kind of one that I hinted at that it may not be on all these lists of like some of the best opening title sequences, but okay, okay, I went with uh, from nineteen forty nine Carol Reed's The Third Man, uh, which uh, The Third Man is a, a noir uh, that stars Orson Welles and um, and uh, also. Uh, Joseph Cotton and they they did so many like they were bros (laughs) like they were they were in so many things together but um the third man opens uh with this a very a a tight close-up of a zither which is a uh, a very unique um it's like a guitar okay and uh and it's basically the whole title sequence is the the third man theme and it's kind of like this little you know twangy uh it's played on a zither okay and uh so i i just always found that so striking about that movie uh that that it opens with that because 
the the tone of the movie is decidedly way different than this like happy go lucky song that's played on the zither okay um, you know because it is it it has a lot of like dark deep you know dark shadows and you know it's it it is a, a noir to its to its core right right uh, but uh i like that it opens with this like dichotomy or, or you know just something like so different um and you know the the score throughout the movie is played on a zither mm-hmm. uh but uh i you know it's just i don't know how long it's been since you've seen that pot- potentially but it's just like as soon as you play it it's like it puts you in this like this mood like you're ready to you know see see a good movie and, and, and it is <laughs> i have actually never seen the third man oh okay so i We'll need to bump that higher on my list. It, yes. <laughs> I did just check it is on my watch list. So it'll, I don't know. So it was like 4,000 other movies, but um, <laughs> no, that is interesting. Cause if you would have said like, what hypothetically do you think the opening credit sequences to the third man? I'm like, you like crime thriller, noir, um, right. Like set in, um, violins or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or like something like really oppressive or like, I, I don't know. Like it's also, it's set in, it's like European set, isn't it? Yes, it is European. So, yeah. I'm picturing a little bit more maybe like stone or like gothic looking architecture. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed, like you said, kind of a jaunty little like tune yeah. to open it up um, at all. But that's, but are you saying it works overall though? It's not like it doesn't feel disjointed. Because no, it doesn't. Because it like, because there are some like, you know, there is almost, there's, even though it's a, a noir and it's like got a lot of mystery, there is like a little bit of playfulness at times. Okay. No, it's a, it's a, it's a recognizable theme for sure. Like I know that theme that like, um, you mentioned, you know, different ways of points of entry into movies. Like if we do one where it's like, okay, watch challenges, pick a movie based on the score. Yeah. Like, yeah. That would be, and it'd be like, oh, I, I know some of, I know that music. Like that's okay. That'd be an interesting to watch that movie, but yeah. Um, yeah. The fact that it actually works though is, is interesting. But also like you said, yeah, if it's not on a lot of like lists, cause it's not, it's not flashy. Right. But it's memorable. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. Yeah. This is a, this is an interesting way to kind of pick out like elements of a film to celebrate or to talk about because they, I don't know, we're like my, <laughs> my, my, uh, my second honorable mention. Uh, again, we are not working in the realm of master filmmakers here, <laughs> but I always thought, and I've rewatched it uh, just a few days ago, the opening credit sequence to the naked gun from the files of Police oh my God. yes yes is hilarious yes <laughs> and it sets the tone for that movie like how else would you do the opening credits of that movie yeah uh i don't know and if you haven't seen it it's um it's it's a fake like top of a I mean it's, it's also a movie from 1988 so we're talking about 80s police cars it's the fake top of the police car with just like the one lone uh, red woo woo you know um, uh, light and siren on top and it starts off totally normal it's like just driving down the road then it does this like s- uh, wildly swerving zigzag in between cars and then it uh, it goes up on the sidewalk and people are jumping out of the way You're like oh that's kind of funny but you know it's naked guns so we can't just stop with one gag we got to do seventeen more. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes through a car wash. It drives into what looks kind of like a mansion or at least a pretty large house. I think um, a shower at one point. Then the next scene, they're driving through a locker room. Of course, it's a women's locker room. Then we're going through the shower. And then we're on a roller coaster. Why not? <laughs> and the button on top of it that, that just signs off on the whole gag 
is it pulls into a donut shop and parks <laughs> at the end. <laughs> and I don't know, like I, what, how else would you introduce the credits to the Naked Gun? One, nobody cares about the credits to this movie. We're not here for the credits yeah. of Naked Gun unless you make it funny, which they did. I don't remember how two and a half or thirty-three and a third open. I would assume they just redo they the same similar. joke. Yeah, they okay. did the they did the same thing pretty much. And <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, oh. I think in maybe the second one or the third one, you know, it goes it's in space, you know, kind of of like course, yeah, kind of thing. Uh, I mean, sequel <laughs> rules and all that. <laughs> yeah, no, I I love that. <laughs> and but like I you I couldn't come up I'm like I was trying to brainstorm like well what else would I have done for that sequence? And I was like I. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, other than just like rolling them real quick or just the title of the film and, and then just jump right into the movie. Yeah. Um, the only part now watching that credit sequence for Naked Gun from the files of Police Squad, the only thing that gives me any pause at all is um, you do get OJ Simpson is in the credits. And you're like, oh, shit, that's right. He, <laughs> he was right here. The rest of it's just a laugh riot uh, yeah. through, through, right from the opening of that movie. So good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else, What else you got, Mike? Uh, so my next one is um, is one of the newest, newer ones that uh, that just always, you know. Sometimes, like I'll I'll play this clip just on YouTube, um, but it's uh, "Catch Me If You Can" from two thousand two, Steven Spielberg. It was uh, the opening title sequence was inspired by Saul Bass, okay. um, and uh, it uh, is a very playful and really sets the tone of the movie perfectly because it is a it's kind of a you know it's a it's a slightly like a heist movie you know as DiCaprio is going through these different personas yeah. and trying to get away from Tom Hanks's character, uh, but uh, this is like probably. You know, I hate to say it like this, but uh, probably the last really memorable John Williams score of, of the last couple years, because um, I think a lot of he's been going to like this minimalist style that. Oh, really? I think sometimes like they're, I, I have been keeping up. I mean, I know okay. he's, he's well, always doing scores, but yeah, well, I mean, just say like the Fablemans, like I thought it was just like I was waiting for like a, that emotional gut punch of a John Williams score. Gotcha. It's, all, it's very like, you know, very, <laughs> but uh, this one, uh, it, it's very cool because it, you know, the movie takes place in the sixties. It has a very like, mm-hmm. you know, sixties vibe to it. And uh, I think it, I'm sure it was heavily inspired from the Saul Bass openings of the Hitchcock films uh, because, you know, there is this like, you know, kind of, kind of caper element to uh, catch me if you can. Yeah. 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 I think it's actually a really, it's a really great film. Uh, I, I try to watch it every, like around every holiday Christmas season um, because I, I consider it like a Christmas movie in some ways. Uh, but, oh. uh, but the opening title sequence is awesome. Is, is it animated? It is. It is. Okay. I can picture it. I was like, I could definitely hear the music in my head, uh, yeah. but I was like, I'm picturing it animated for some reason yes it's it been is. a minute since i watched that one yeah but but uh heavily you know inspired by the the time period that the film oh takes. yeah absolutely is it wait so is there a christmas scene in the movie or was it did it come out at christmas it came out at christmas but there is there's a couple scenes that in christmas you know like i think he's 
you know, he finally gets out of prison around Christmas. So okay. it is kind of considered a Christmas movie, but gotcha. um, I don't know. I'm sure there's people who will angrily tell me it's not. <laughs> uh, well, they're not here right now, so <laughs> I, can't hear them. I bought that one on DVD a, a bit ago or Blu-ray maybe because I, I hadn't seen it in forever. And I remember just when it first came out in theaters, then I, it first came out on home video. I just like it was just I always put it on like it was just so easy to just yeah hang out with that movie and just put it on. Um, cause both like both leads couldn't be more charming and <laughs> just like top of their game, uh, and just playing off each other so well, but also just, it was just, like you said, it was fun caper film, but it wasn't not your standard caper film. Anyway, that's probably right. another topic we can discuss <laughs> caper films at some point. Yeah. That's, uh, I think it has one of the best knock knock jokes of, uh, you know, <laughs> ever in that movie. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But... Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, what did you end up picking? So now it kind of sounds harsh because this is a solid director and I feel bad about saying like there were no master directors on my, my, my list here, but I think most people would, uh, um, agree. So I picked a movie, uh, written and directed by Andrew Nicole, okay. who, um, I adore several of his movies like Gattaca, I think is just like yeah. top tier, but he also directed like Simone with Al Pacino and the virtual <laughs> actress. I didn't care for in in time and I'm a fan of like time travel, time travel adjacent uh, kind of movies and I adore Ethan Hawke, but like good kill just <laughs> I, I didn't think was that great. He wrote and directed a movie in 2005, which also has Ethan Hawke in it. Uh, the 2005 film Lord of War. Oh, yeah. Nicholas Cage, Ethan Hawke, uh, Jared Leto's in there somewhere. <laughs> um, Bridget Moynihan's around. It's, officially labeled as a crime drama film. Uh, actually he produced it as well, but it's, it's about, it's kind of, it's supposed to be about, I mean, it is about arms dealing, arms trafficking, international arms industry, illegal arms industry. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Cage is an illegal arms dealer. It's inspired by this actual real person, uh, Victor Bout, Boot, uh, B-O-U-T, but it's kind of Andrew Nichols mentioned, like it's kind of an amalgamation of several of them because he wanted certain beats in the story and, things like that. And then Ethan Hawke is the, I want to say like FB, oh, ATF maybe. I don't know. He's the guy who's chasing him down. Yeah. Trying to bring Nicolas Cage to justice. Ethan Hawke's character is Jack Valentine, which is <laughs> that's a DJ <laughs> name right there, man. Yeah. Um, and then Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage plays uh, Yuri Orloff. And this isn't like, this is 2005 Nicolas Cage. So it's kind of before Nicolas Cage became his own genre of yeah acting i guess and i like me a nicholas cage scenery chewing performance this isn't <laughs> exactly that this is a little bit more thoughtful and actually i find this movie disturbing but from like a moral perspective sure it's not entirely disturbing if you're watching a lot of horror movies or exploitation movies it's like i do it's like content wise what you're seeing isn't like disturbing levels of violence well yeah i guess it probably would be to some people because it's you know international arms dealers illegally and you know, there's like brutal civil wars that he's supplying arms to and stuff. You're like, oh, God, what are you doing? <laughs> but the reason why I brought it up is because we're talking about title sequences. And the opening title sequence to this is called uh, Life of a Bullet. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. Telling me I've got to swear. If I 
take your time with stop children what's that sound everybody look what's going down and since he is an arms dealer if you even look up the poster like it's a Nicolas Cage image made up entirely of bullets and like shell casings yeah. it's really it's really interesting so we follow a bullet and it's unfortunately there's some 2005 CGI uh, involved but I think since it's mostly looking at inanimate objects it works pretty well you see a bullet being made uh, being put together on the assembly line like packaged put into the box uh, you know getting put into a case shipping out somewhere getting bought by some blah 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 blah. and you follow this bullet all the way to a conflict zone where it gets loaded into a gun and I believe it kills a child so it's a really crazy circuitous zigzaggy which isn't circuitous at all I guess zigzaggy route of showing you the life of this bullet but also it it summarizes all of the ins and outs and emotional beats beats yeah that you're gonna feel watching this movie and then end with like oh god like at the, <laughs> the end yeah. and it's kind of how you feel watching the movie um i mean i would recommend it it's a very interesting movie it's it's a little uneven at, at times but throughout the whole thing like what the, the the world that it's looking at is very fascinating um because you know arms dealers are always just like cartoonish side characters in like a john wick movie or you know what i mean like and this yeah. is like no this is what's really going on and this is how profitable this could be like it's it's pretty appalling um i think amnesty international even put out some some statement about like highlighting you know the the plague that is you know arms trafficking internationally and how like militias and dictators and despots are like oh god like the weapons of war and this is 2005 like you know now like good god who knows what's on the black market now but oh my god i mean yeah. it just it sets up what you're what you're in for in in a very unique and really fascinating way to just like because you're kind of like oh wow this is fast oh look at the oh now it's going here oh god look where it ended like jesus um but no as, as a standalone piece of like short filmmaking i mean it could be a short film on its own honestly like it yeah you show that at a festival and be like wow yeah life of a bullet okay now have, have you seen that there's supposed to be a sequel coming out to that no a long lost or yeah like i think it, i believe nicholas cage is in it as well um what it was announced <laughs> so you know I, I know a lot of movies get announced and then they sure go away but uh i mean i would watch that but it seems entirely unnecessary but okay yeah okay yeah i mean it depends cage if he's on board if nickel's back Right. I would assume they're saying they're, they. I assume they're making it because there's something to say. Like I just said, like it's 2005 versus international arms trafficking now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can't say I look forward to it, but I will definitely give it a watch. Yeah. Oh, uh, that. No, that is a great pick because I I do remember that. Like that was an awesome opening title sequence. Right. Right. Like, like the film. Like I I'd be hard pressed to tell you more than like a couple of scenes I remember of it, but like I remember that title sequence for sure. Yeah. So. Uh, well, what, what did you pick, Mike? Uh, title All right, so I'm I'm going. I mean, this is just one. Um, you know, usually I'm always trying to find something I've never watched, but uh, this is the movie that I think, as a child, that really got me into movies. Um, Ooh, and, interesting. Uh, so, and it's it's mostly due to the title sequence of this movie, and whenever it used to play on TV, I used to run around. Uh, put my cape on and uh, pretend like I was flying. And it's the opening titles of Superman 1978. All right. Um, you know, and uh, okay. So maybe I cheated a little bit. There's two, <laughs> two John Williams uh, led uh, scores uh, for this, but 
they're um you know i and i almost picked tim burton's 1989 batman because i i love that title sequence as well um just and mostly because of danny elfman's music but also it ends with that batman logo right there like you know oh i remember now yeah yeah yeah. uh but the superman it okay so it's like it is it's just it's those like titles that are you know kind of whooshing towards you yeah the little like sound effects But there is something about that, just hearing the music and seeing Superman, you know, like, and it's just such like a great theme. And that I don't, you know, it's like probably when I was a kid, like I, I couldn't care less about the rest of the movie. But like, as long as I heard that, I knew it was <laughs> Superman time, you know, so because um, there's many pictures of me <laughs> in these uh you know, a little <laughs> Superman uh, shirt and cape. But yes, there, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, for nobody who, or for anybody who hasn't seen that movie, and I don't know why you haven't, uh, but, <laughs> but it, you know, it stars uh, Christopher Reeve as the titular uh, character, but you also have, um, you know, Marlon Brando is in there as uh, Jor-El. And, uh, you know, allegedly he made like, you know, probably like, a lifetime's worth of money just for appearing in the movie for like a couple scenes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you also, right, yeah. <laughs> but you also have Gene Hackman playing Lex Luthor, who is like, you know, just chewing up the, the scenery in that. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, in some ways I think uh, um, you know, with all the modern technology, sometimes, you know, Superman 78 may maybe looks dated but um, there's something kind of magical about that movie. I can't really put my finger on it, but uh, you know, I'm not really uh, saying it as, as more eloquently as I would hope. But um, but that is just the kind of title sequence, and I'm sure, like young kids in '78, if they were going to see that movie, they were probably hooked. And you know, me, you know, probably seeing it a couple years later on TV it immediately hooks you in with that, that theme. Oh yeah. Just the, those, those graphics and everything. And uh, so that's why uh, I went with, with Superman, but Batman, Tim Burton's 1989 Batman is a close. close. second, uh, just because it's uh, also just, Oh, it's so like uh, last year they played it at the uh, playhouse square, part of the, the uh, summer, movie series that they do cinema at the square oh yeah yeah um it was great to see that even though the the print was a little choppy so some of the music got messed up but just you know well still print i I was like singing it in my head like i knew exactly (laughs) where it was and and everything but but yeah so that's uh you know i know like superhero movies right now are like getting kind of maybe overplayed a little but but these ones did it first and uh, I'll say that's like the OG one. Yes. Like it, it did it the way it's supposed to be done. If you adjust it for inflation, it's, you know, over a billion dollar movie. It's, it was yeah. huge. It was groundbreaking. The poster for it too. If I, I was trying to place it in context a little bit. I feel like the poster for that too was like, you will believe a man will fly. fly. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, and it's a year out from Star Wars. Everybody's like, well, you could do what with special effects? Holy shit. Like, you yeah. know, mind blown. Right. And then you get, OK, we're going to see a dude fly. We did not see that in Star Wars. We saw people fly around in space and machines, right. but nobody's just flying around. Well, except for the force, maybe. But like <laughs> nobody's flying around in that one. This is our world that I recognize these built. You know, I don't we don't live in um, shit. Is it Metropolis? Is that Superman's home? Yes, Metropolis. Metropolis. So, um, you know, Metropolis looks like New York City. It looks like any major American city. It looks like a human being flying. Uh, Holy shit. But, and I haven't seen this one in a a minute. When do the title sequences come in Superman? Is it like right from the beginning or is there a scene first and then There is a prologue. I think there's a prologue. Okay. It gets into into it, you know, because like you, it, it kind of fades to black and then it comes up you know that kind of uh as it builds up and then uh when you get to that that's yeah it's right because it's like yeah it's out in space too very similar to star wars but yeah like all wushinet yeah right right so effective actually you know that might be kind of interesting to chart just like superhero slash comic book adaptations like the credit sequence, because you said like Superman, that is iconic for people that have seen all of these and kind of can appreciate the context. That one, the Tim Burton Batman. Yeah. And now like I don't have off the top of my head, like memorable modern comic book superhero movie sequences. It's it's usually just like a flat title and then, you know, but but uh, but like the Spider-Man ones, like the like across the the animated Spider-Man's do. Oh, God. Really, yeah. Really great animated sequences, too. But or title sequences title sequences yeah actually i wonder if it's more of a marvel dictate like we get like the marvel comic book page flip marvel logo and then yeah. we just have the title because there's not a lot of unless i'm just misremembering it like i don't remember there being like and the costume designer like i don't remember like right. all that type right. of credits it's kind of just like let's just jump into the story and yeah uh, we'll do end credits with 15 interruptions <laughs> uh so our official watch challenge picks for title sequences are lord of war from 2005 and superman from 1978 Aaron, what challenge do we have in front of us for next time? Up next, we're going to take a look at American remakes. Mm. Uh, I think we've kind yep. of, you mentioned kind of here and there in a couple episodes about like, you know, if this movie was made in America, they would have fucked it up. Or <laughs> they would have changed this. So yeah. we're going to take a look at American, and that could be good or bad. You yeah. know, American remakes of, you know, other world cinema titles, uh, maybe obscure, maybe it's been improved on, maybe... They took a swing at it and tried something interesting and failed. Maybe it's just a head shake. I mean, I definitely have some head shakers on my two watch list of like, <laughs> why did they think why? they were going to make one? Um, so we'll see which direction we want to go uh, with that one. Interesting curiosities or they did it better. Or we just mentioned uh, this episode, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, David Fincher. Absolutely. I think that's a superior film to the first uh, original one, although I do like the original trilogy quite a bit. Yeah. But man, I really wish they would have done all three. Oh God! Here, yeah, here in America with Fincher at the helm, but yeah. Well, I, I th- yeah. I mean, that that this is another topic for another day. But he just needs to cut those budgets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but hey, it, it's Fincher's world. We're just living in it. Uh, so, uh, if you uh, like to suggest a topic or genre uh, you like cover on a future show, or if you have an American remake that you think is worthy, please email at us at watchchallengepodcast at gmail dot com or the links in the show notes and a note on the show notes actually i'll throw in links to all the credit sequences we mentioned here so if you were like oh i gotta remember to go look at all these on youtube or wherever like just just 
use the links. You can go enjoy uh, some credit sequences there as well from the show notes. So until next time, folks, rate and review the show on whatever podcast app you are using, and we'll see you with the next challenge. Mm-hmm.